coach running the football program in a sloppy manner. In those seven years, the Alabama football team, winner of 12 national titles at the time, and formerly a perennial contender for said titles, and the source of much pride and meaning in the football-mad state, had spiraled downward into, at best, irrelevancy on the national stage. At worst, it had become college football's horror show. For years, Moore had relied on Alabama's name and past glory to acquire head coaches. After firing Shula, though, he found himself in a bind. The shine had worn off. Suddenly, the Alabama job was one that no coach of any real stature seemed to want to touch. Moore had been turned down by Steve Spurrier, the cheeky head coach at South Carolina, a football program that didn't come close to Alabama in terms of pedigree. Moore had offered the job to Rich Rodriguez, a young up-and-coming coach at West Virginia, and believed that he had accepted it. As Moore was working out the final details of the contract, he was blindsided by Rodriguez, who suddenly changed his mind and announced that he was staying at West Virginia. In the end, Moore appeared to have been merely played by the West Virginia coach for a raise and an extension. The bungled coach search had earned Moore a new nickname within Alabama football circles. They called him Malfunction Moore. Now Moore was attempting to woo the 55-year-old Saban, who had been a master as a college head coach, reviving three different programs and winning the 2003 national title at his last stop on that level with Louisiana State University. Saban had left the college game after the 2004 season to take his first head coaching job in the NFL. In two seasons with the Dolphins, he'd posted a less-than-mediocre 15-17 record, but his reputation as a college coach still burned brightly and his name came up any time a major college program needed a new head coach. Saban, though, appeared to be staying put. The Miami media horde had persistently asked him about the coaching vacancy at Alabama. Saban had begun to get testy. At a press conference just ten days before Moore arrived in Miami, he declared, rather definitively, I guess I have to say it, I'm not going to be the Alabama coach. At this point, Moore had no other viable options left. His trip to South Florida was all or nothing. He knew that his job was on the line. I told the pilots when they dropped me off in Miami that if I didn't come back to this plane with Nick Saban, they should go on and take me to Cuba, he said. Moore, however, had reason to feel a sliver of optimism. By coincidence, His nephew, Chuck Moore, a home builder, had remodeled Saban's lake house in Georgia during Saban's years at LSU. Saban, of course, knew who Chuck's uncle was. During the last few weeks of the 2006 Dolphins season, despite his public denials, Saban had called Chuck a few times to tell him that he was possibly interested in the Alabama job, knowing full well whom Chuck would call the minute they hung up the phone. Moore had also been in contact with Saban's agent, Jimmy Sexton. Six days after Shula was dismissed, Moore and Sexton had secretly met in New York during the National Football Foundation Awards dinner. Sexton had told Moore then 
that if Saban were to leave the NFL, Alabama would be at the top of his list. Though Saban continued to rebuff Moore, the Alabama athletic director knew that at the very least, the coach's interest was piqued. What Moore didn't know at the time was that a far more important ally was waiting for him in Miami. On the evening of January 1, 2007, after trying in vain to reach Saban all day while hunkered down in a hotel room, Moore finally made contact. During a brief phone conversation, Saban made it very clear that he wanted to talk to Wayne Huizenga, the Dolphins' billionaire owner, before he did anything else. He ended the call with a promise to contact Moore the following day around lunchtime. The next day, Moore waited. The call never came. Moore...